Unmade is running its first end of financial year sale until midnight on June 30th. We're offering 55% off an annual subscription to Unmade. That reduces the price from $650 down to $292.50 per year. It will never be as low again. That is 55% off forever. Joining our paid membership tier is a great way of supporting our independent journalism and analysis. Your membership gives you access to our paywall content that includes full access to everything we release in our Choose Data series, plus early access to most posts, and you'll get big discounts on attending Unmade events. The offer is only available until midnight on June 30th. Head to tinyurl.com forward slash unmade offer to lock in this great deal. Start the week with Tim and Damo on the Unmade podcast. Welcome back. I'm Damien Francis and joining me again on Start the Week is guest co-host, Pure PR founder and managing director, Phoebe Netto. Good morning, Damo. Good to be here. As we record at 7.30am in Sydney on today's episode. Michelle Rowland flags review of outdated media legislation. The unlikely tie-up between Foxtel and Nine. And the startup news service that's just gained big backers. Unmade. Phoebe, we've managed to coax you back after last week's early start. Another early start this week and a few technical gremlins this morning, which is why it's 7.30am when we record this. Not that we weren't up very early. <laughs> a lot of entertainment. How are you? How was your weekend? Wonderful weekend, thank you. A big news cycle weekend, wasn't it? A very, a very big news cycle weekend. I hope you were actually doing something other than analysing the news cycles though. <laughs> My children turned a portion of the house into an indoor tent village and it was giving me real lockdown flashbacks. So I had to leave the house and I took myself to a beautiful (laughs) farmer's market. (laughs) How was your weekend? That sounds like a very wise idea. Mine was pretty good, thank you. um, I think we've been battling the the sicknesses for, for months now. It's gone from COVID to tummy bugs back to COVID to coughs to everything in between, but uh, I feel like we're slowly uh, back on the rise again, uh, hopefully, but it's going to be more disruption this week in our household and many more. I think we've got school strikes uh, on Thursday, transport strikes in Sydney for half of the week, so it's going to it's going to be a fun week, but um, we've got a lot to talk about, and like I said, we're a little bit uh, delayed today, so we better get straight into it, but before we get into the main topics today... Uh, We're just going to touch on the current situation with the Judith Nielsen Institute again, which we discussed last week. But Phoebe, there's been a a few updates uh, during the week since then. Yes. So as we mentioned last week, the Judith Judith Nielsen Institute was founded three years ago with a $100 million commitment to support Australia's media sector and more broadly to support journalism and ideas globally. But the past eight weeks have seen huge disruption for the governance and the reputation of the Institute. So since last week's podcast episode, the Institute's board has been further emptied of independent directors and with some of Nielsen's personal contacts added in, including her daughter. And Mark Ryan, a senior advisor to former Prime Minister Paul Keating and a longtime advisor of the Lowy family, who was appointed to lead the Institute, 
he has now hired lawyers to negotiate his exit. So Zoe Samios has been following this story over the past fortnight for the Sydney Morning Herald and The Age, and she's been making public the troubles at the Institute, which currently has more leaks than a sieve. We're hearing from directors who have resigned, from staff who are uncertain about their future there, and from others who have very loud opinions about how the Institute has been operating. And so Zoe Samuels reports that some media companies are now becoming wary of taking money from an institute that no longer appears to be independent. But, Damo, I'm not so sure about that last point because could you see a media outlet not taking the opportunity to receive funding for quality journalism simply because of internal disputes within the funding organisation? Yeah, that's a really interesting point, isn't it? I guess uh, maybe it depends on how much money they've uh, been able to get from uh, big tech thanks to the news media bargaining code. But, uh, Phoebes, you deal with reputation and brand management uh, as your day job, but what would you be advising the the Judith Nielsen Institute uh, at the moment? A bit of free advice for them. (laughs) The, the PR rule of avoiding the sound of silence is really proving itself here. There's been a real void left by no comment from the Institute or its founder. And so that void is being filled with every other opinion and negative development. And now that the changes have moved from being an internal matter to a very public one, they really need some transparency, some some updates and transparency about the future of the institute would go a long way to stemming the leaks to shutting down some of the rumors and possibly even restoring confidence so it's about time that we hear from the founder here all right i think it's about time that we got on to the main topics uh, for the morning uh, something fresh phoebe where do you think we should kick off today Let's start with politics because new communications minister Michelle Rowland has been in the headlines a lot over the weekend, particularly in Nine's Mastheads, The Age and the Sydney Morning Herald, as well as the Australian Financial Review. She doesn't seem to think that the ABC needs to move from its inner city offices. Yeah, that's correct. That's a good place to start with that because there's been a bit of talk around different things uh, from Michelle Rowland. Now, like you say, Phoebe, she's dismissed calls for the ABC to relocate from its inner city offices in Sydney and uh, Melbourne. Uh, This is a report from the SMH and Age, uh, the aforementioned uh, Zoe Samios. Um, Now, the ABC has been previously sort of criticised for being too focused on, on the needs of inner city dwellers, um, largely in the past uh, by by the coalition and the government then and communications minister then, uh, Paul Fletcher. Last year, it was announced in June that uh, it planned to move 300 staff from the Ultimo-based Sydney office. Uh, Ultimo's just uh, sort of uh, I guess, sort of south of the Sydney CBD to Parramatta in the west uh, of Sydney, uh, which is one of the fastest growing regions um, in Australia. Uh, and the move was then very much welcomed uh, by the then communications minister, Paul Fletcher. Uh, now, Roland believes that uh, the ABC is following its charter of obligations uh, very well, 
which includes being reflective of all Australians and therefore doesn't really need to think about relocating from those inner city offices because it uh, doesn't, uh, you know, um, it, it doesn't uh, change the way that it reports uh, on on the news. And, and she says, what's more important at the moment is the, the move for SBS, the Sydney-based office in the, the lower North Shore in Artarman, uh, moving to the western suburbs uh, of Sydney uh, and making that a, a policy priority, being that uh, SBS, you know, is meant to be reflecting a, a much broader uh, base of, of uh, Australians with with uh, a very wide uh, sort of cultural remit there. But in terms of the the ABC, uh, she's quite clear that there's no real need to to be looking at, at relocation there, and essentially. Uh, it's doing its job uh, according to the Charter. And um, interestingly, she's also the uh, member for Greenway, so out west. So interesting comments there from her about SBS. Absolutely. And it seems like she's backing a review of broadcast legislation. Yeah, this one sort of, I think it's it, it's a very good scores for her early on to, to back this one. She's, uh, like you say, she's considering a review of the, the legislation governing uh, the broadcast sector, which, look, it, it's 30 years old now, um, from 1992, updated in, in 2017, but really it needs to apply to, to today's environment, which, of course, includes uh, streaming uh, and uh, social uh, social media. Now, a quote that she's given to the Sydney Morning Herald was, uh, the key issue here is that we still have an analogue environment for the digital age. We've got a Broadcasting Services Act that's dated 1992. I even said in 2017 that we hadn't had a proper review of the media landscape since the Productivity Commission in 2000. The government at the time said all the facts were known. They were not known. There is a very strong argument for review. So she's Quite uh, heavily backing a uh, review there, but um, look, there's also reports uh, in the AFR from Miranda Ward that uh, the Labor government is committed to reviewing the anti-siphoning uh, laws uh, and to keep big sporting events um, on free-to-air, uh, as well as supporting free-to-air as we sort of move across to, uh, I guess, more households having smart TVs where those uh, free-to-air channels can kind of get lost in, in the myriad streaming services that come up on the, the menu page of those uh, those smart TVs. So ensuring that there's a, an equal opportunity for the free-to-air channels to, to exist on smart TVs. But like you said, a, a lot coming out uh, from Michelle Rowland over the weekend and, and certainly... Um, you know, setting up for some very interesting, uh, some interesting moves uh, in the not too distant future. And coming up next, an unlikely tie up between two big streaming players is outed. Unmade. This year has well and truly become the year the streaming companies took centre stage, particularly in relation to how competitive the market is. And just this morning, it was revealed in the Australian Financial Review by Miranda Ward and Max Mason that Nine and Foxtel had talked about a tie-up. That's right, Phoebe. We've um, 
we've heard some pretty interesting bits of this story. Now, I hasten to add that uh, this is a story from, uh, again, Miranda Ward uh, in the AFR with uh, Max Mason as well. And it's suggesting that, that what's happened here is is nothing more really than initial talks. So, not not hugely deep, the conversations, but... Regardless, uh, the report is that Nine and Foxtel held early stage talks uh, about working on a streaming service prior to Foxtel launching Binge. Uh, Now, the talks took place in 2019 after Foxtel had launched uh, the sports streaming service KO and were looking at other opportunities. Of course, they've done that with with Binge and and with the new service uh, Flash uh, as well. Uh, Talks were said to include uh, the former CEO of of Nine, who, of course, was then the CEO, Hugh Marks, Uh, the current CEO of Nine, uh, Mike Sneesby, who then was the the CEO of Stan, uh, as well as Foxtel CEO Patrick Delaney and uh, the News Corp Group Director of Broadcasting, Siobhan McKenna, uh, now, the plan was to put Stan together into a combined business that included content from Foxtel. Now, Stan, uh, for those playing at home, had launched in 2015, uh, January 2015, and that was a joint venture between Nine and Fairfax, uh, now one and the same, uh, of course. But uh, as I mentioned before, discussions never really progressed to a formal stage. Um, if it had happened, it would have been a pretty significant player, uh, particularly uh, in the the Australian market, um, but never happened, never progressed to, to formal uh, negotiations. But look, it's not super surprising, I guess. You know, Foxtel has um, a, a small history in, in partnerships. You know, if you remember, it partnered uh, in 2014 with uh, Seven West Media to launch Presto. Uh, unfortunately, that shut in, in 2017. Mm. Um but it, it's uh, you know it, it's interesting to to know that that was um, being talked about. Look, what's also interesting um, as well is is that uh, there were some figures uh, in this where uh, media partners Asia uh, has uh, been quoted as saying that Netflix, uh, as of September twenty one, has thirty three percent of the SVOD uh, subscribers in market. Disney Plus has 15%. Amazon Prime also 15%. Now, Stan is on 13%. Uh, and then combined, KO, Binge, and Foxtel now is on 11%. So a, a very crowded market at the moment. Yes, it looks like the market is well and truly tightening and that the players will have to act quickly to put in place measures to ensure continued success. I mean, not just continued success, but um, would you say survival in this crowded market? Yeah, look, quite possibly. It sounds harsh, but, you know, we've talked about it on this podcast before and on Unmade uh, before. It's a super crowded market. um, And there's a few things that have come together that have really put even more pressure on it. I mean, look, we're currently in a cost of living crisis. Who has the, the money to be spending it on multiple 
streaming services each month, which, uh, you know, was kind of the argument early on in the piece that, you know, at a small subscription price of, you know, somewhere around the $10 mark, maybe $14, $15, depending on the service, you could have multiple subscriptions. But I think at this time, more consumers are, are probably looking at which ones they, they can cut in, in the, the current uh, market. Subscriptions are, are, are plateauing uh, at the moment as well. You know, that people have already subscribed to the, the services they wish to subscribe to. And if anything, they're, they're looking at, um, you know, lessening the amount of subscriptions rather than increasing them. Uh, and we saw mm-hmm. we saw over the weekend uh, as well, Netflix announcing a, a layoff of 300 employees uh, over the, the, the last week, I should say, rather than the weekend now. Hey, look, they've got 11,000 uh, global uh, employees. So 300 is not a huge amount. Um, but it shows you the type of situation that that the you know one of the major players, if not the major player in market, uh, is in. The stock prices tumbled seventy uh, percent, and um, there's not a lot uh, of positivity in the market right now in in terms of uh, streaming services and uh, and the opportunities. It's more about looking at that sort of consolidation and where to go from here. Coming up next, a new player in the news game gained significant backing. Unmade. So some good news of sorts. Uh, the Daily Oz has announced that it has gained more than a million dollars in funding as it looks to expand to the UK. That was reported in the Sydney Morning Herald and The Age uh, by Zoe Samios. Phoebe, you've been looking into this one. I guess a good place to start because this was a, a new name to me. What is the Daily Oz? It's an Instagram-focused news service. And now I've heard it all. <laughs> it's seen impressive growth since it launched around a year and a half ago. The Daily Oz aggregates the biggest news of the day into digestible content on social media platforms like Instagram and TikTok, And the idea is that you can read the news in under a minute. It is edited by Billy Fitzsimons, the daughter of Lisa Wilkinson and Herald columnist Peter Fitzsimons. And the Daily Oz has grown its Instagram Instagram following from 50,000 to 372,000 in just 18 months. It also has two podcasts, a newsletter, and more recently it started polling its readers And that data on young people in Australia, along with ad spend, is how it makes its money. And now its co-founders, Zara Seidler and Sam Koslowski, have just completed their first capital raise. Okay, so that makes a bit more sense to me in terms of it's a a lot deeper than just an Instagram uh, news service. Yes, it's more than the Instagram account, yes. (laughs) That's it. Um, But look... The investment is certainly not insignificant, is it? $1.2 million, Damo. And those investors include former Nine boss David Gingell and executives from tech unicorn Canva, who will also be mentoring the founders as they scale the business. The Daily Odds will maintain full editorial independence, but with this investment, they are planning to hire more journalists. So that will be adding to their team of nine staff and they'll expand their unique social first style of news into the UK. 
Now, unlike the Oz, which is the Australian's new youth media title, which launched in April of this year, the Daily Oz is an independent outlet. So this funding is quite significant for them. And Phoebes, as a business owner in the PR space, what do you reckon? Is this good for, for the sector? Will it change your, your day-to-day in terms of media relations? How do you see it? I'd say that two of the reasons that the Daily Oz are seeing growth are two of the main changes in media relations in general. And that's the need for media angles and stories to lend themselves to engagement and interaction and to really synthesize complexity into short and simple updates. That means, though, that some important stories that just require more time and depth to be across are struggling to be heard, and we're consuming our news in bite-sized Twitter-style bursts. Coming up next, more on the metaverse as Can wraps up. Unmade. Damo, you penned Best of the Week over the weekend and covered the metaverse in a bit of detail. And it's a strangely rare thing to read an article questioning the metaverse and its timing. What made you write that? Yeah, look, I'm going to be honest. Uh, The video uh, announcing the chief metaverse officer for publicists, uh, Leon Avatar, who's a a lion, a virtual lion, a French virtual lion, uh, caught my attention and made me have a a look into it uh, a little bit more and and talk to a few people. Now, hey, you know, saying that it's rare to sort of read an article questioning the metaverse, I 100% agree with that. Mind you, I've just read one from DigiDay, which um, sort of questions it as well, or, or Apparently, a lot of marketers leaving can have questioned it. But yeah, look, I, I spent best of the week, uh, which you can go back uh, to unmade.media and have a look at if you haven't uh, already, uh, sort of having a chat to people on and off the record about um, what they thought uh, of the metaverse. Uh, look, particularly because a lot of the businesses who are main players in the, the metaverse uh, haven't escaped the the sort of huge market challenges at the moment with uh, you know with the, the first half of the year at the time that I wrote that piece meta was down 53.61 percent on Wall Street Roblox was down 70 percent Roblox being one of the the main sort of uh, I guess, platforms. Uh, I hesitate to call it a game. It's not quite a game, but the platforms uh, that, that um, uh, is sort of working around the metaverse. Um, but also Microsoft, another big investor in the metaverse, dropping 24.2% this year. But despite this, there is a huge amount of interest uh, and a, a not insignificant amount of investment from marketers uh, in in the metaverse uh, as well, and this sort of goes hand in hand with uh, announcements from agencies about what they're doing uh, in the metaverse or what they're doing to help marketers who want to uh, have a bigger play uh, in the metaverse. So, like I said, you know, we saw publicists uh, launch the news of, of Leon the the lion, uh, and in the post I, I wrote, you can see the video which they posted on on YouTube uh, about that. 
But we also saw other uh, announcements. Uh, Wonderman Thompson released uh, WT Inspiration Beach in, in the metaverse to celebrate Can being back in, in real life. Um, there were other announcements as well, but it, it's, it just doesn't seem to match up. The, the amount of people in and around the metaverse, uh, consumers, I should really say, and, and the amount of spend uh, going going into it. Now, uh, Sprout Social, and this was something covered in, in campaign, uh, released figures that suggested that 67% of marketers plan to invest at least a quarter of their budget into metaverse-related efforts over the next year. Um, although interest in the metaverse among consumers is only at 24%. Uh, now, look, I, I, I'm not a massive fan of percentages without you know, actual numbers to, to back that up, but it doesn't seem to, to really match up there. And as I sort of alluded to before, you know, an article I read early this morning uh, before we were having our tech dramas uh, from DigiDay, uh, and I'll quote here, after the four-day festival in the south of France, marketers say this year they may walk away with more questions than answers, especially as no one seems to be able to agree on what the metaverse is and isn't or how to make money out of it. Um, now, I think that's kind of the crux of it because as I said in that, uh, uh, in the best of the week post uh, as well, um, you know, the metaverse still isn't properly defined. We had a comment on, on that post uh, during the weekend uh, from Alan Robertson as well saying, you know, can you define it in a sentence? Now, I had a crack, but realistically, um, it's still not something that's completely defined, yet, you know, the, the industry is apparently throwing quite a bit of money at it. So, yeah, just, just interesting. I'm fascinated by this now. I, I spent a, a large amount of the week last week looking into it, and, and it is really a fascinating space would you say it's a bit more a display of showmanship or or hype over something that represents good value for agencies and their clients at this stage 100 percent. and you know to to be honest with you i i wouldn't have to say that a couple of the people i spoke to sort of said it for me um you know, a lot of the people that I spoke to couldn't go on record saying what they said. Um, you know, I couldn't put their name to it. But, you know, uh, anonymous quote here from from an agency leader that, that I uh, include in the article. As with any new big technology trend, holding groups are, are frothing at the mouth to show how cutting edge they are. Some recent announcements are nothing more than posturing in superficial PR rather than tangible change in operating model. Uh, the other quote, which I took uh, great pleasure in in including was uh, it's a crock of shit um, apologies for the language but that's a, a direct quote so look I, I do think there's a lot of posturing going on I can see why people are fascinated by it um, and I can see why they want to invest in it I'm fascinated by it I think there's genuinely a really fascinating future for it once the technology is there, once we've defined it properly, once the consumers are there as well, I'm just not sure that's going to happen very quickly. I do think this we're in it for the long haul uh, with the metaverse and, and significant investment at this stage from marketers may be jumping the gun a bit. Significant investment from the, the tech brands trying to, to further it. No, that, that's needed now. Um, but from markers, look, I'm I'm not sure, but hey, I, I, I stand to be corrected. It'll be one to watch, Demo. 
Absolutely, it will be. Absolutely, it will be. But if you if you're not quite sure on on where you stand on it, you know, like I say, please do check out uh, Best of the Week, which you'll find on Unmade.media. That's almost it for today. We'd love to hear what you think of it at letters at unmade.media. That's letters at unmade.media. And thank you for joining me again this week, Phoebe. Really great to have you on board. Uh, Before we go, just a reminder, don't miss out on Unmade's first end of financial year sale until midnight on June 30th. You can sign up for a paid Unmade membership for 55% off. That reduces your usual $650 price tag all the way down to $292.50. So sign up at tinyurl.com forward slash unmade offer. That's tinyurl.com forward slash unmade offer. The price will never be this low again, and you will always get 55% off. Righto, I'll be back tomorrow with the latest choose data post for paying members of Unmade. Today's podcast was produced with the usual enthusiastic support of Abe's Audio. Thanks for listening. See you later. Um, Unmade.